Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 29. I'm Tom Barthel, serving as your host for this episode, currently serving as pastor at Christ Lutheran Church, a Wells congregation in Baxter, Minnesota. We'll begin with Passage and Prayer by Pastor Dave Beckman. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. The dust returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Dear Lord, it's hard to imagine life out of my body. I have become its prisoner, and it has become my master. I fight to keep it healthy, and it drags me down into illness and aging. Sometimes I grow weary of the battle, Lord, and I want release from the strain. And that's not the half of it. My real struggle is my spiritual imperfection. I fight to purify my faith, and it seems as hopeless as trying to stay young and healthy. Same old thoughts, same old feelings, same old guilt. I long to be free of my sinful flesh, dear Father in heaven. Thank you for your promise that you will call my soul to yourself in heaven's perfection because your Son has made me yours. What a joy that will be. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, but only endless joy in the presence of my Savior. I can't wait for that day. But help me wait, dear Father. Help me wait in patience and with confidence in your promises. Help me to see and believe that you are working all things for my good and that when you have used my witness sufficiently in your precious work, you will call me home. Fill me with joy over that promised release, especially when days are dark and the burden is heavy. Help me to live as your child until you receive me as your child in my new and everlasting home. Hear me for the sake of Jesus my living Lord and Savior. Amen. God's Word for You is shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 8, verses 20 to 22. Bildad ends his speech now with a flourish. Surely God does not reject a blameless man or strengthen the hands of evildoers. He will, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Your enemies will be clothed in shame and the tents of the wicked will be no more. Now on the surface, Bildad's words almost sound right. Surely the Bible talks about laughter being a gift from God and shouts of joy being the way the blessed respond to God's goodness. But there's something wrong here. Bildad's confident assurance that God does not reject a blameless man is too shallow a comfort for anyone. No one is blameless before God. And Job has already admitted to being a sinful man, so what good are words like this to Job? It would have been better if he could have offered the comfort from Isaiah 42, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. When a Christian struggles with doubt or with trouble in life, we can be certain that God doesn't turn us away or doesn't turn away from us. We are saved through faith in Jesus not through the success of our lives. But Bildad wants Job to think that nothing bad ever happens to believers. 
His whole argument is based on wishful thinking and not on the truth of God's word. Not all Job's enemies would be clothed in shame in his lifetime, but the promise that everything will work out well for us in life if only we have faith, that's a prosperity gospel that contradicts what the Bible really says. Now, Bildad's whole argument in this chapter might be outlined in this way. And remember that we're seeing a pattern of sort of statement, which we might call a strophe, followed by a counterstatement, an antistrophe, followed by a resolution uh, of an of an epity. And here, uh, Bildad uh, begins with the anti-statement, the antistrophe. So, part one, the antistrophe, how long will you talk this way? Is God unjust? Followed by the strophe, ask the former generation the wisdom of tradition. Followed by the epity, the resolution, God doesn't reject the blameless. Well, Bildad's argument falls flat on its face, but we shouldn't be surprised. We will have troubles. We will even suffer for our faith. But the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, or rather to the Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul also said, We know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you you share in our comfort. That comfort is the true gospel, the gospel of peace, through the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. How Great is from the latest album by the Branches Band, Crown Him the King, released in June 2013.
Freedom in Christ is shared by Pastor Mark Falk. Galatians 1, 15-17, Part 2, Arabia. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. NIV 1984 I did not consult any man. Why is this such a big deal? And what about Ananias in Damascus? God sent him to Paul. He laid hands on the blind persecutor about to become apostle. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He immediately began to preach the man he had tried to eradicate from Jewish minds and hearts. He belonged to Jesus now. He would go where Jesus sent him and preach a salvation that was very different from obedience to the law of Moses. Look to Acts 9. Nowhere does Acts 9 tell us about Arabia. That we find only here. To get a full view of Paul's life means putting these two together. What did he do in Arabia? Not Saudi Arabia of today, but Stony Arabia, far to the north. There weren't many people to preach to in this barren land. Does Acts 9.22 record what happened for the next three years? Yet Paul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews in Damascus by proving Jesus is the Christ? Paul needed some seminary training. Many have conjectured that the Jesus who appeared to Paul in person on the road to Damascus continued his personal education in Arabia. It was Jesus Paul's very own seminary instructor? It would not surprise me if heaven reveals this to be true The Bible does not explicitly say so. It could also be that Paul, well versed in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, went to work studying on his own. He had trained under Gamaliel, one of the foremost rabbis of the first century. He knew the Old Testament, but now he came to see the Old Testament as we do, as believing Jews also do, as the testimony about the coming Messiah, who has now come. It seems that Paul's time in Arabia as much as three years, though shrouded in some mystery, was the time where the new convert was led by the Spirit and perhaps by the physically present Jesus to put all of what he knew into a new framework. He would discover Jesus in Psalms 2, 8, and 22, and others. He would read Isaiah 53 with new eyes. He would find Jesus in Micah and Malachi. Knowing the Old Testament was key for Paul, In every city, Paul began his work in the Jewish synagogues. By Paul's preaching from the Old Testament, Jews were convinced, some of them, the elect of God, that Jesus was the one promised to Eve, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that he was the son of David, the suffering servant of Isaiah, the child of the virgin, the Messiah who would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. From the synagogues, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, would branch out to the marketplace and forum and riverbank where he brought the Jewish Messiah to the Gentile world. The promise of blessing through Abraham, blessing to the nations, came through Paul. He began in Damascus. If Arabia happens between verses 21 and 22 of Acts 9, he has had three years to sharpen his arguments, arguments from Scripture. He immediately goes about proving that Jesus is the Christ. In this letter to the Galatians, Paul is proving that he was an apostle just like all the others. 
His gospel was the true gospel, not by works, not by works and grace in Christ, but by grace alone. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote this wonderful summary. God was second reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. 2 Corinthians 5:19. This message did not come from any man. It came from God. In Arabia, we think the Holy Spirit and Jesus sharpened this tool of the gospel. By this, the Galatians were blessed. We are blessed as well. It is important because the Holy Spirit thinks it is important that we know this. We can still trust the words of Paul, the Apostle of God. Sin begets sin. Genesis 16, verses 4 to 6. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. Sarai followed a custom that was, by all evidence, quite common in ancient cultures in her part of the world. She gave her husband, her maidservant, to bear a child in her stead. Legally, the child would have belonged to Sarai not Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant. Sarah had turned disgracefully aside from God's plan for marriage and from God's promise intended to come through her marriage with Abram. And let's not forget, Abram went along with the plan. He is just as guilty as his wife as he willingly goes along with all and takes Hagar to bear a child through her. Hagar, however, knew Sarai was ultimately behind the plan. When she became pregnant with Abram's child, she despised Sarai. When it says that Hagar despised Sarai, it really boils down to an attitude which Sarai certainly had to feel. You can picture Hagai, Hagar taunting Sarai. I'm the one who's important now. I have Abram's child. But Sarai joined in the hostility as she treats Hagar badly now. You can imagine her assigning Hagar the most menial tasks as her slave and her maidservant, spurning her with every button she can push to put her down to make her feel insignificant. Of course, we never sink to this level, do we? Have you ever felt jealousy or the rush of emotions that comes as you vie for attention and importance? Do you ever feel slighted by someone and think you deserve better treatment? Do you desire to get back at them? Do we sometimes have to stop and reflect that what we face with hostility between ourselves and someone else was something that was a loss of respect, a loss of good treatment that was really the result of our own sin. Sarah was learning by experience. She was 75 years old now, but her behavior and wisdom seemed no different than a five-year-old. She doesn't even take responsibility for the rift between herself and her maidservant Hagar. She tosses all the blame on her husband, Abram. And Abram doesn't step in to bring peace and forgiveness. He just whimsically says, You handle it, dear. I'm not getting involved in your womanly quarreling over this issue. Some husband. Some wife. Sin begets more sin, as it spreads to a rift between Sarai and Hagar, and then between Sarai and Abram, her husband, and ultimately... They disgrace their gracious Lord and his plans for them.
as sin continues to get birth to more and more sin. Isn't it ironic, however, when Sarah mistreats her Egyptian maidservant? After all, it was Sarai's fault. And in a twist of fate, we'll see the Egyptian race mistreating the real offspring of Sarai later in history. More mistreatment, more sin, it just keeps on coming. What could ever be put, what could ever put an end to sinful beings, giving birth to more and more sinful ideas, more and more sinful attitudes, which begets even more sin? How can this constant birth of sin, which multiplies and multiplies, be ended? Only by a birth that comes about through God's promise. The promised son will come yet for Sarai and Abram and the world. As we read through the pages of Scripture, we see it fulfilled through him, the promised Savior. When Jesus came, he freely won for you and me a rebirth which has covered sin. He has forever done away with a cycle which ends in death. He came not to give birth to more sin, but to live life perfectly in your place and mine. He came to bring us a new and eternal life. You have been born of water and the word. The sin for which we are responsible and which we constantly give birth to from our own hearts has been washed clean. The cycle of sin is done away with only in Jesus and His forgiveness and His new life and His promises. You will find rest when Jesus, who puts away our sin now and for eternity, will bring us safely also to His new heaven and new earth where instead of sin begetting more sin, there will only be holiness and life and rest. We'll close with Down by the Riverside from Chris Dreisbach's album, Hymns for Him. I'm gonna lay down my soul and cheer Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Down by the riverside I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield Down by the riverside I'm gonna study war no more I ain't gonna study war no more Ain't gonna study war no more Ain't gonna study war no more I ain't gonna study war no more Ain't gonna study war no more I'm gonna study war no more I'm gonna Put on my golden shoes Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Down by the riverside I'm gonna put on my golden shoes Down by the riverside I'm gonna study war no more I ain't gonna study war no more I ain't gonna study war no more I'm gonna study war no more I ain't gonna study war no more gonna study war no more I'm gonna study war no more I'm gonna put on my long white robe down by the riverside down by the riverside down by the riverside I'm gonna put on my long white robe down by the riverside I'm gonna study war no more I ain't gonna study war no more ain't gonna study war no more I ain't gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study war no more. I'm gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study 
war no more. I'm a gonna talk with the Prince of Peace down by the riverside, down by the riverside, down by the riverside. I'm gonna talk with the Prince of Peace down by the riverside. I'm gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study war no more. I'm gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study. No more, I ain't gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study war no more. For more information about Canaan Bound Podcast, visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com. Once again, my name is Tom Barthel. I was glad to be serving as your host for this episode. This episode was first shared in July of 2013. You have been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 29. For this episode, we included music featured by Chris Dreisbach, his album Hymns for Him. Visit chrisdreisbach.com. And also, we heard a song from the new album by Branches Band, Crown Him the King, the song titled How Great. This album was released in June of 2013. We'd like to thank our artists for allowing us to feature their music. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location nearest you. Thanks for listening.